In these uncertain times, the registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you to your commitment to journalism, especially now. Please subscribe to our podcast to hear more commentary on the industry and the leaders who shape it every day. Today, we sit down with Tim Schoen, the president and CEO of Biomed Realty, the leading provider of real estate solutions for the life science and technology industries. Tim has been Biomed CEO since 2016 when he joined the company following its acquisition by Blackstone Group. Tim brought to Biomed years of commercial real estate experience from HealthPeak and Kilroy Realty Corporation. He currently serves on the board of trustees for the Salk Institute in San Diego and is also the chair of Salk's Conquering Cancer Initiative Advisory Committee. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Good. How are you, Vlad? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Where are you today? Uh, I am at the international, I'd say the international headquarters of Biomed Realty, but I'll, I'll, I'll go even further at the intergalactic headquarters of Biomed Realty. Does, does, do you have like a, like a favorite avatar now that they know they were all kind of using, you know, Zoom calls yeah. and other technology? Yeah, I don't have an avatar, but I have to tell you, I have, uh, I definitely have my digital acumen, uh, in my technology acumen here over these last couple months. And, um, you know, people of, uh, I think across the, across the globe have been much more efficient and, um, yes. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say I've learned a few new tricks. Right. Right. Almost, almost too efficient perhaps. <laughs> um, so, so Tim, um, just for the benefit of our audience and, you know, typically when we do these interviews, I, I ask, um, you know, the person who's speaking with me to give us a little bit of a, of a, you know, background and, you know, the company, how long you've been there, you know, your role, um, and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, well, um, you know, just a little bit of background. Um, you know, Biomed Realty is a uh, leading provider of real estate solutions for life science and technology companies. Um, we operate about 11 million square feet in leading innovation markets around the United States and the UK. It's led by Boston, Cambridge, uh, San Francisco, really on the peninsula and anchored in South San Francisco, San Diego, uh, Seattle. New York, and then Cambridge, UK, outside of London. We uh, we also have a, about a two and a half uh, million square foot development pipeline. So together, it's about 13 and a half million square feet. Uh, and we're developing in the West Coast markets of San Diego, San Francisco, and Seattle. You know, it's also, Vlad, a, uh, I think it matters sort of in, in these times. It's a fully integrated platform. Um, we serve about just over 225 biotech and technology clients, but we're backed by an experienced team of about 190 real estate professionals uh, that work in development, leasing operations. Uh, that's really our facilities and property management. We do that in-house given the unique nature of the real estate, risk management, finance and accounting, HR, IT, and marketing. If you gave me a sentence, I'd say that Biomed really at its core, uh, we focus on the real estate so that our tenants can focus on the um, on the science and technology. Yeah. And you were acquired by Blackstone. So the the platform that you guys have has now been expanded, yeah. obviously, with with that acquisition. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how that came about and, you know, how it's how it's evolving. Yeah. 
Yeah, I joined. Um, I joined shortly after the acquisition. Um, became the president and CEO in 2016, and um, you know, I did, sorry to follow up on your earlier question. I, uh, you know, I've been in commercial real estate now for almost three decades. I hate to say it, but uh, um, working on national platforms for uh, really public REITs the last 23 years yeah. um, in the office and industrial and the healthcare and the life science space, um, and that's really how I came to came to the connection and the cross-section between um, Blackstone and Biomed. Um, we did get acquired in 2016. I joined shortly thereafter. But being a, um, um, you know, a Blackstone portfolio company for us, uh, it's been great. I, you know, we, we immediately added the expertise and the insight and really the experience they have across markets really around the globe um, where they've got boots on the ground. And, you know, we were able to get, um, you know, experience not only from in the markets, but also, you know, they put out a lot of capital. So we have a lot of exposure and experience across the capital stack as well. And, uh, you know, it's been great to tap into their network of, you know, brokers and lenders. And it's really a complement to our deep relationships um, with the senior leaders that we have with our tenants and life science leaders. Yeah, right. So, um, uh, Tim, perhaps un, unfairly so in, in, the, in the two markets, you know, one of two of the markets in which you're in, where we're also in, in the Puget Sound region and also in the Bay Area, um, uh, the life science sector, in in a way, was al- is almost referred to as sort of the, you know the, the other tech sector, um, which which is kind of interesting. But you know, part of it is because you know you have just massive um, you know big tech companies located in those two markets. Um, however, uh, given this current circumstance and where we are with the global pan- pandemic, you know, one would argue you are now maybe the primary tech sector because you know you know i would i would argue you know life science and perhaps you know um a lot of your uh you know tenants might be in 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 the search for for a cure here is that is that accurate yeah yeah that you know definitely um you know the uh, uh we've definitely accelerated the profile of the industry um uh over the last several months um and we've really gotten in um you know involved about you know, about 40% of our tenant base is involved, um, you know, in, in some aspect of, of the current, uh, crisis and looking to, um, you know, looking to, you know, help the pandemic in, in, in a couple of different ways. They're looking to either diagnostics, that's a big word for testing, yeah. either a therapy, something that's on the shelf that could be repurposed, like a, a remdesivir with Gilead, uh, and then ultimately a vaccine. So we know of probably 28 tenants that represent, like I said, about 40% of our, uh, of 40% of our, um, uh, our tenant base. And, um, you know, so they're obviously actively involved, in, I guess, the other tech sector, as you put it, you know, has, 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 has really, has really come about, you know, we've obviously been investing in those markets, Vlad. I think um, Blackstone sponsorship, you know, the two markets you mentioned, I think would be of particular interest to sort of your, your folks and constituencies. Blackstone's been very active, you know, since the acquisition, investing, um, developing and modernizing some of these research facilities in the other tech sector, as you put it. Um, in really these core innovation markets, but really in San Francisco and in, 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 in Seattle, which the two markets that you've mentioned, you know, to give you an idea, you know, we've been able to put 
into those markets with Blackstone support about $2.6 billion in California alone for new buildings and sort of modernizing and expanding the industry in, in the, um, in the in, in California, both in San Diego and San Francisco, but the lion's share of those dollars have really gone into some big campuses in San Francisco. Yeah. So on a global basis, um, when you look at you know where things were in December of 2019, um, arguably probably you know in a very good year because it was a, you know really good year for most of the people in the industry. Um, how did 2020 look to you at at that point in time? Yeah, as we, as we came into the year, um, you know, I think we were going through, a, you know, an exciting and transformational period of expansion, you know, as we got came into 2020. And I would define that as a couple of things. I think the, you know, the amount of capital that's really come into the space, um, you know, you can find it different ways. But, you know, R&D funding, Vlad, had been going up um, all, over 4% a year over the last six years. And we were estimating that to be, you know, well north of, uh, you know, almost $190 billion. You know, the IPO volumes had been good. NIH funding had topped $40 billion. If you go back to 2016, that was only about $32 billion. And then, you know, finally, you know, FDA drug approvals, you know, have been streamlined. And we saw, you know, 59 drug approvals last year. And, um, you know, we're on a good pace. Uh, sorry, in 2018, we saw 59 drug approvals. And, um, you know, we were on a really good pace um, as we as we started this year as well. Just to give you an idea, the five year average had been around 34 drugs approved per year in 2018, 2019. You know, we'd had um, 59 drugs approved uh, in 2018 and 48 in 2019. And remember, we started the year off with a government shutdown in 2019. Right. So that was still an impressive number. And then there's. Um, although this is moving quickly, um, you know, there's been 16 approvals already in, in, 20, in 2020. So it gives you an idea about the amount of capital that's come in. And then I think you, know, you don't have to look too far any further than the, than the um, NASDAQ biotech index as recently as this week when it hit an all time high. Just to talk about how healthy the industry has been even, you know, post crisis. So, so when you talk about these drug approvals, are, are these companies that are your tenants or, or this is overall in the industry throughout, throughout the globe? Or, this, or is overall the in, this is overall in the industry, and this is in the U.S. Got it, um, U.S., yep. So, yeah, so, um, and, um, and it's, you know, a combination of our tenants um, are part of that group. But, you know, when you see really that level of drug approval, it just gives you an idea how robust and how much capital is continuing to come into the industry. Yeah, for sure. A lot of tailwinds. I'd say as we enter 2020, you know, we had a lot of tailwinds in this business. Yeah. So so, so the shock comes, um, you know, the virus kind of crosses into every continent. Um, what, what, what are you guys focusing on? Where, where is your attention now? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, first and foremost, obviously, you know, we're like all of us, I think the human tragedy is sort of unprecedented um, and, you know, areas that have been really hard hit like Italy and then you know, obviously domestically New York. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of where our attention went, it went immediately, you know, given its profound impact. We've, you know, I guess, you know, from our perspective, where do we go now? You know, we've managed to keep the entire portfolio open. You know, we do have purpose-built facilities and labs throughout the portfolio, and our tenants have continued to operate, you know, with smaller smaller workforces and, and smaller groups of researchers. But, 
you know, the entire portfolio is open and accessible to all of our tenants for the important work that they're doing. You know, I mentioned that we've got, you know, nearly 30 tenants that are that are working on, uh, you know, some type of aspect of the crisis. Right. And, and you know, it's, 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 you know, for us, it's, you know, I've been keeping the portfolio open. Our, uh, I like to say our, with our operations team that's in-house here, this has been anything but a work-from-home environment for yes. them. Yeah. Um, you know, they've been constantly making sure that the systems are up and running and functioning and that uh, there is any um, issues at the, at the uh, buildings that they're safe and, and, and inhabitable. Yeah, and and that was going to be my follow up question. Given uh, what what you said earlier about sort of the platform and the uh, and the sort of the scale of your operations, you know how how has that been? Um, have you had any issues with that? Has has that sort of worked uh, fairly fairly smoothly? Have you even grown that group um, throughout this time? Yeah, you know we really haven't grown the group, but I would say that they're they're, uh, you know, uh, they owe a debt of gratitude. They're on the front lines for us, uh, you know, keeping the buildings open. They're obviously, you know, have their uh, personal protective equipment on. And, uh, but, you know, we haven't really grown that group, but, um, you know, they've been, they've manned the stations and have been out in the portfolio. We're fortunate to have groups on the ground in each of the six markets I talked about. Um, and you know, they've been on, on full alert, you know, they're, I would say, Vlad, the difference this time is we're used to a crisis. We're used to some sort of, you know, power outage or, you know, natural disaster or some type of storm that moves through the area. You know, this obviously health crisis has been unprecedented because it's, uh, it's hit us all at the same time across the portfolio. So it's, you know, we're fortunate enough to have that team here. Um, and they're all hands on deck. They're sort of our, our green berets. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I think, you know, when people think about, you know, who operates their facilities, it really demonstrates uh, how important it is to have a platform and with your real estate audience, why, you know, why we have people in-house that are real professionals and that have trained and operated, you know, hospitals or professional sports stadiums in their prior lives that uh, they've operated other mission critical real estate. Yeah. And, and, and we benefit from that. So. Yeah. Uh, so how would you characterize the um, state of the life science industry then today? You've, you've talked about, you know, the number of you know, drugs approved. So obviously that that's kind of a positive aspect of it. But the industry also has been evolving in clusters of innovation, right? I think other some other tech kind of has popped up in different parts of the country and the world. But but life science is usually more closer to certain you know research kind of clusters, right? Do do you see that evolving, changing? What's what's your perspective? Yeah, we've seen those you know we've seen those clusters um, you know get stronger and deeper. Good example of if you wanted to be, I'll use an example from a healthcare real estate days. You know, if you owned a medical office building, you used to like to say that you would be in the shadow of a hospital. You yeah. know, so yeah. physicians were close. You know, we like to be in these clusters in the shadow of a research institution or university uh, is the way to think about these clusters. Uh, if you think about, you know, our portfolio, we're sort of perfectly aligned with the largest markets in the U.S. That's Boston, San Francisco and San Diego that routinely attract about 70 percent of the venture capital. And those those. Uh, you know, the researchers like to collaborate and be close. You know, we use the term that, you know, research happens in, or innovation happens in, uh, in proximity, not in isolation. And we've seen that, uh, that clustering effect get stronger. And really, our portfolio is built around 
sort of that, uh, that cross section of where innovation and urbanization have come together. And, uh, you know, think about Boston where you've got MIT and Harvard, the Bay area where you have Cal to the North and Stanford to the South, you know, and think about San Diego where you have the script, the, you know, the Scripps research Institute, the Salk Institute and UC San Diego all right next to each other. So that's sort of that clustering effect of those researchers. You know, we're fortunate enough that, you know, even in this environment where our labs aren't that dense and people are used to operating in labs in a very sterile environment. So they haven't been that, um, you know, they're not packed in there like, um, you know, like a call center or some type right. of other office use. And then, you know, the other thing is, you know, there's we have seen a lot of capital. I know I mentioned that before, but, you know, if you think about, you know, since the crisis happened, uh, um, you know, really full bore here in early March, you know, we've continued to see about $35 billion in capital come in, three big, you know, life science funds get closed by, uh, by venture capital, like flagship and arch ventures. Uh, a good example of life science has been a uh, conviction industry for Blackstone. They're not only invested in the real estate, but they bought a company in 2018 um, called Claris. That's right. uh, now, now Blackstone Life Sciences. So the, now they're investing in the industry, really helping underfunded medicines and technologies and really being able to come in, um, you know, and scale and invest in the industry. So, you know, they, they've done that with, with Biomed in the last five years, but also I think this is an example of how capital has really come in, continues to come into the, the industry. They announced a deal um, here not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago with Alnylam, where they put $2 billion into a, a research company in Cambridge, um, investing in the equity and debt of the company. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a big investment by life science standards. Um, so it's just illustrative of the amount of capital that's come in. Um, and what a conviction industry this has come for, become for people like Blackstone. Yeah, and and I, one would argue it's it's an industry also that doesn't necessarily kind of follow the same maybe economic or real estate cycles as as other sectors of the industry do. I mean, is that is that safe to assume? Yeah, I think we, I think the industry really dem, dem, uh, you know, really benefits from some pretty powerful demographics, right? The right, you know, the the world is aging. Um, you know, places like Japan that are much older and obviously the United States and, you know, the demand for for pharmaceuticals and therapies continues to grow. And it's, um, you know, n nothing's completely recession proof, but this is this is pretty close. It's a very, you know, we haven't I said in a sentence and I'm not being flip here, but we haven't cured the human condition yet. You know, we're just the real estate guys. Right. But, but uh, you know, we haven't. Uh, we haven't cured the human condition and there's a lot of a capital that comes in. And, um, you know, I think this, the amount of capital that comes into this space now as a result of the crisis will only continue to pay future dividends. Yeah. So what's interesting about that then is, um, you know, w what are the drivers then? Um, how, how are you tracking demand across your portfolio and the, and the clusters, you know, you know, throughout the world and throughout the U S in, in which you're involved? Yeah. You know, you know, tracking sort of the demand, um, you know, just to take a step back and talk about the real estate fundamentals for a second. You know, it's one of the industries that um, from a real estate perspective is, is probably has some of the best fundamentals. It's got very low vacancy, Vlad, across yep. these markets, you know, 4% probably on average, I would say, um, across the main clusters of the six markets I just talked about. 
you know, high single digit rent growth over the last couple of years. But the demand, you know, the demand's pretty deep in each of those clusters and it well outstrips the supply. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously we're only a couple months into this. We have seen some bigger institutional users slow down and the decision making process slow down to nobody's surprise. But we went into this with very strong real estate fundamentals. And again, I would define that as sort of frictional vacancy levels at, at very low single digits. Right. And, um, and, you know, demand that was going to, you know, that outstripped the, uh, you know, even some of the supply that was coming in. So we were fortunate when we went in and we continue to see anecdotally folks continue to move forward. We have signed leases with some, some big blue chip names uh, in the last couple of months. Not large leases, Vlad, but, um, you know, still indicative of the health of the industry. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, do, do the three clusters that you've identified before, uh, Northern California, Southern California, and Massachusetts, do those continue to be the, the dominant clusters in the U.S. also? Uh, do you see any other areas emerging throughout the country? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've looked at, um, you know, there's there are some other clusters throughout the country, you know, the Washington, D.C. area, um, you know, the, um, you know, the Raleigh-Durham, you know, the Research Triangle in North Carolina, uh, Seattle, um, you know, and I really define that as sort of the South Lake Union area up in Seattle. So there are some other other clusters around the United States, but you know, we've seen the existing clusters grow as well. You know, folks grow along the peninsula in San Francisco. You know, look at markets in and around South Lake Union in Seattle. You know, in Boston, in and around the markets that are Cambridge adjacent, I'll call them, and in and around the you know the Boston Cambridge area. So. Folks have a tendency to want to cluster, um, you know, where there's a lot of intellectual capital. Yeah, certainly. So I uh, there's been a lot written about all the negative aspects of the coronavirus and, and how that's impacted the not not just you know the commercial real estate industry, but just throughout throughout the economy and overall our our lives. Um, I, I do want to sort of focus also on the you know positive, right? Um, kind of um, what does this mean for the industry? going forward, you know, midterm, long term, you know, things that you can identify and say, you know, this is this is really going to be, you know, in a way good, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, it, it, absolutely. I, I like the way you put it when you talked about the two different technology groups or the other technology group. This has definitely put, you know, life science and the researchers and what they can bring to bear, you know, on, a, on, on society and uh, will result in more capital coming into the space. And, you know, it takes, you know, a lot of years to develop, um, you know, some of these therapies and, you know, having that capital come in and come in at a, at a, at a, at a, at a higher pace, either from the government, you know, and their support. And I would, I would say, you know, what's the cost of a pandemic, um, you know, versus investing in this industry. So I think there's a lot of positives that come of it. Uh, I think we sometimes define the use of a current therapy or drug too narrowly. It may have some other knock-on benefits. Um, there's a lot of, you know, personalized medicine, big data coming into, into research where, you know, folks can sift through, you know, some novel compounds and, and, and therapies. Uh, there's gene sequencing. So there's a lot of new technologies. I think that'll get capital that, that uh, you know, RNI interference um, which really can really sort of shut shut off uh, functions in your body or or work uh, a therapy that'll shut a function off on your body, um, you know, to help you heal. So there's a lot of sort of 
you know, without getting too technical and you don't want a real estate guy talking medicine. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, capital, I think that'll come for some very novel therapies. Are you also, uh, seeing, um, so all of those clusters that you talked about are like, like you said earlier, are, uh, in geographic proximity to research, whether it's university or, um, you know, th things like that. Are, do, do you see some, you know, deeper collaboration between, you know, un universities and kind of research institutions with the private sector? And, and how, how does that play into your overall um, perspective on the, on the life science industry? Yeah, I think the universities do and the research institutions do a lot of basic research um, and end up spinning things out into these clusters. Um, so they're an integral part of the uh, of the um, of the ecosystem. There's kind of sort of I read an article a long time ago that talks about sort of the three tribes. There's the the researchers, the entrepreneurs and the venture capitalists. And they each speak their own language. But when they come together in a sector uh, or in a cluster, it becomes really powerful. Um, because you've got the, you know, the researcher that may or may not be affiliated with a research institution um, or may have a technology they'd like to advance, and they get together with an entrepreneur who can create a business around it and help them through the business aspects and then, you know, the venture capital that can invest in the technology. Um, and when those come together, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. You know, it creates a, uh, you know, a virtuous cycle, I guess. Uh, you can see that in these, in these clusters. And that's why these clusters exist, right? Because they have some of those key components. Yeah. Um, so, Tim, as, as we close um, and, you know, look at the future, uh, you know, lessons learned from, you know, past cycles. You've been in the industry, uh, not just life science, but you've dealt with some other commercial real estate uh, sectors before. Lessons learned. What what's what 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 is hopeful? What should we be looking forward to in the you know mid to long term? Yeah, I think you know whenever you go through one of these crises, yeah, um, I've been around a while, Vlad. So you know whether it was the uh, you know the Asian uh, or Russian currency crises in ninety seven and ninety eight. Um, you know, I think about you know the, that the dot com bust that obviously you know is very relevant to the folks that are in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, you know, the tragedy of 9-11, uh, the Great Recession of 08 and 09, and even Brexit for us, because um, we have assets in the UK. You know, when we look back, uh, the franchise has usually come stronger. But I think it's got, uh, John Gray said it really well on, the, on their earnings call. You know, you need two things when you go into a crisis. You need staying power and firepower. And I'd say staying power is a proxy for liquidity and, you know, having enough capital. Uh, to be able to, um, you know, manage your portfolio and, and um, you know, continue to operate. Uh, and then firepower, having having the ability to also put capital to work. And I think those are the two things that we think about. You know, we're fortunate enough to have a world-class platform uh, or, you know, a, a, a international platform, you know, with a world-class sponsor like Blackstone that has both staying power and firepower. So we're fortunate that way. And those are the two lessons I've learned as I've gone through. Um, you know, you just got to have that, uh, you got to have that staying power in the near term and then the firepower to invest and advance the portfolio over time. Tim, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. I, I enjoyed, uh, having this conversation and, uh, stay safe. All right. Well, thank you. I, uh, I have to tell your audience though, that I'm just not a big fan of your alma mater. Um, you know, I know that you were a, uh, a Georgetown basketball player, and I'm, I'm unfortunately a, a fan of another Big East team in Notre Dame. So, you know, despite that, Vlad, I was happy to do the interview. Uh, 
And, um, you know, it, it, I, I really can't, you know, knock you too much because you're the only one on this phone that was a division one. Yeah, so. Tim, thank you. I, I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. And, you know, there's there's a saying out there, uh, you know, how do you know that somebody, you know, either went to Notre Dame or, or you know, likes Notre Dame? The answer is they'll tell you. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to push it right right back at you. Um, thank you again. Um, have a great rest of the week, Tim. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Bye.